The reading this morning is taken from Exodus chapter 16, 1 to 15. You can find it on page 73 of your church Bibles. Page 73. Exodus 16, beginning at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they'd come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down a bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it is the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like the frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11. 
and can be found on pages 967 in the Church Bibles. The Temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship him. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Am I on? Can you hear me? We're there? Yeah? You can hear me at the back? No. Okay. I'm going to get some water. It's hot this morning, isn't it? Have I got it on mute? I would help if I switched it on. There we go. There we go. A great start. Good morning. Let's pray. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would be at work here amongst us and in our hearts this morning through this difficult topic. Please be with us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Dave has just lost his job. His world has been rocked and every ounce of security seems to have vanished. The shape of his week, his everyday routine, his salary, his identity, his confidence have all been but dismantled. He's anxious. You could say he's in a wilderness. Betty has just finished a long course of cancer treatment. She's tired and she's shockingly weak. She feels out of touch with even the simplest pleasures in life. Perhaps hardest of all for her, she's unsure on whether the treatments actually worked. She waits for tests, she waits for reassurance, she waits for her energy to return. She's facing all kinds of fears and uncertainties. You could say that Betty's in a wilderness too, a wilderness of waiting. Brian is in an unhappy marriage. Jill's daughter is worryingly ill with anorexia. Aaron is watching his beloved mother fall apart with Alzheimer's. Each one in a wilderness, not knowing, not in control, powerless and frustrated and unable to make everything all right. And I wonder, do you know that place? Do you know that place? 
Have you been in that place? And I've kind of searched for inspiration on Google. Because that's the place where you go to when you've got a really dry talk. And I've been looking at images of the wilderness across the world. And there's so many different types of wildernesses. They're vast and they're expansive and they're different. But there's a few things that they have in common. They're often remote places. They're often dry places. They're places that do little for our comfort. And it's a place that we can find ourselves in unexpected times in our life. Fumbling around in the wilderness. And it's a great reminder this morning, that's not the place we've come from. And that's not the place that we're heading if we're Christians. Okay, we've got glory to look forward to. So hopefully that's going to be a real encouragement as we walk through this passage. And yet, the wilderness itself can be a real time of blessing. Here's why. Firstly, it's a place where Jesus wins. It's a place where Jesus wins. Look at verse 1 in that reading in Matthew. It would be great if you'd turn to that passage with me again. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit of God leads the Son of God into the wilderness, into the desert. Not because he'd done anything wrong, not because of his disobedience, but because of ours, because of yours and mine. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. And so our big brother, the Lord Jesus, went to do battle for us against the devil in the wilderness. Forty days, forty nights, unbroken temptation. And he succeeded where you and I fail, and where the first Adam failed as well. He resisted temptation perfectly. Isn't that amazing? He experienced the total power of temptation. He felt the full force, the full weight of it, to a degree that you and I will never face, because he never succumbed to it. He never gave in. He was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. It's a place where Jesus wins. It's a place where Jesus overcomes. Notice the one who does the tempting in verse 1. He's tempted by the devil. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that God never tempts anyone to do evil. So what's the focus of the devil's temptation? Where does his attack come? Well, I think Satan wants Jesus to doubt two things. Firstly, to doubt his God-given role. Jesus, doubt who you are. And secondly, doubt the God-given route, the road that you've got to walk to fulfill your mission and purposes. So he's to doubt his role and route. Hopefully we'll see that as we go through. Verse 3, the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you really are the Son of God. Verse 6, if you are the Son of God. Do you see that doubt there? Doubting his role. Look up at um, the baptism of Jesus just above our reading in chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus has just come from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John the baptizer in the Jordan River. And in verse 16, the moment Jesus' head pops up out of the water, the heavens are torn open and the Spirit descends on him like a dove, lights on him, came to rest on him. And then a voice is heard from heaven which said, This is my son, verse 17, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Isn't this amazing? The son is baptized, the spirit descends on him like a dove, and the father declares, this is my son who I love. With him I'm well pleased. 
we see God, the Father, Son, and Spirit together uh, in this amazing encounter of Jesus being baptized. Um, One purpose, united. It's a thumbs-up moment for the Lord Jesus as the Spirit is with him. And what's quoted here in this um, saying of God the Father to the Son is a combination of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. I wonder if you'd turn there with me. Uh, Page 543 for Psalm 2. Let's look at that first. 543. Page 543 and verse 7. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession, and you will rule. This is the great psalm about God's great promised king and Messiah to come. It's also got echoes of Isaiah 42, if you want to turn there, page 727. 727, Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. Here we have the long-promised Messiah, the ruler to come. That's, that's his role, he's the Messiah. And the way he's going to be the Messiah, Isaiah chapter 53 tells us, that it's going to be by suffering and by bearing the sin of the world. He was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's his role. He's the Messiah. And the root is that Jesus is going to suffer and he's going to bear the sin of the world. And he's just heard the voice from heaven declaring, you're my son with whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And from that moment on, arguably he knew it before, but from that moment, Jesus knew with crystal clarity his role as the Messiah and the route to which he was going to walk his Messiahship, to suffer and die for the sin of the world. I know this is quite heavy, but if you get lost in what I'm saying, just focus in on Matthew chapter 4 and keep on reading that. Um, That'll be really helpful. Because what we see here is Jesus overcoming where we didn't and can't. He overcomes these three temptations, and it seems to me that these three temptations are all geared in Jesus doubting who he is and denying what he needs to do. So let's just look at them briefly. So verse 3, the tempter came and said, if you are the son of God, then turn these rocks into lumps of bread. And if you do that, uh, then everyone, uh, then Um, excuse me, change these rocks into bread and then you'll be sure. Then you can know who you really are. Just doubt the word of God. And unlike us and unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus didn't take the bait. He knows that's not God's way. For, verse four, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus fed on, every word that came from God. In other words, when you and I are in the wilderness, when kind of the chips are down and it's really difficult, don't doubt the word of God. This is what we need in the wilderness. When everything seems to be crumbling, it's God's word and his promises that we need to turn to. Look at the second temptation, verse 6. If you are the son of God, 
then throw yourself down. There's a marvelous way, Jesus, that you can show yourself that you really are God's king. Do it in a display of power and with an incredible miracle. And the devil then quotes Psalm 91. You can be king all right, and everyone can know your role if you throw yourself off this temple. Be the Messiah this way, Jesus, by a display of power, and let everyone see who you are. Take that route, Jesus. But he knows that's not God's way either. Verse 7, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the third temptation comes, that's just a plain straight attack at Jesus. You do not need to bear the sin of the world. Look at verse 8. In a moment of time, the devil shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Get on your knees before me, he says. You do that and I'll give all this to you. You can have it now. But we know that Psalm 2 just said, from the Father to the Son, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. What we have here is an appalling blasphemy by the devil. Look to me, Jesus, and I will do for you what the Father has promised he will do. All the kingdoms, all the power, all the wealth and the glory, they can be yours right now. Did he not want that? Did he not want all the kingdoms of the world? Had he not been promised them? Yeah. Bow down and worship me. But Jesus says at the end of the account, away from me, Satan, it's, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left and the angels came and attended to him. Jesus wins in the wilderness. Isn't that amazing? Jesus overcame the tempter in the wilderness. Isn't that amazing? Like that's brilliant. He succeeded where you and I fall and, and keep on falling. We need to keep looking to him. And in Matthew chapter 16, when you think the temptations are going to end at that point, they keep going through Jesus' life. Matthew 16, verse 13. Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi and asks the disciples a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied with various answers. And then he asks them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. He's seen the role, hasn't he? He's got it. You're the Son of the living God. And then Jesus blesses him and says that this hasn't been revealed to you by man, but by God. And then Jesus then turns and explains to him, this is the route that I've got to take. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teacher of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And what does Peter say? He says, never, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. And then what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. What powerful, what a powerful rebuke. Flick on a few pages with me to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26 and verse 38. Remember, just before Jesus was arrested, we read in Matthew 26, 38, that Jesus' soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death with what's about to happen, the route, the road that Jesus is going to walk. And he's in such agony that we're told in Luke's gospel that it was like his sweat was like drops of blood. He's in that much anguish about what's to happen. And he prays once, God, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. And then he prays twice. If it's not to go, give me the strength to be able to drink it and drink the last dregs. Well, how does this apply to you and me? Well, when we're in times of struggle or we're in the wilderness, or when everything seems to be going wrong and we're suffering, we need both kinds of these prayers. We need to pray 
and ask God, if it's possible, take this away from me. But if it's not, we need to pray for strength from God to sustain us so that we can walk through this road. And we need both these things together when we're in the wilderness. We need to pray both. Just flick over the page. One last reference with me. Just look at Jesus' crucifixion for a moment. Chapter 27 and verse 42. Just kind of imagine this. The leaders of Israel are there before Jesus. He's kind of nailed to the cross. Let's go from verse 41. The chief priest, the teacher of the law, the elders mocked Jesus. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. What a temptation for Jesus. Jesus, you do not need to go through with this. Just come down now from the cross and we'll put our trust in you. Right to the very end, Jesus is battling with temptation and overcoming where you and I would fail. So how can the wilderness even potentially be a place of blessing for us? Well, it can be a profound meeting place where we can meet with the God who can meet our deepest needs. It's the place where Jesus is victorious and he overcomes. The one who knows all and has power over all things and who has the ability to make everything all right. We can meet with him in that place. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, I think there's going to be, there is going to be the temptation for us to doubt the role of Jesus and the root of Jesus' Messiahship. We're going to be tempted not to pray and to turn to other things, and we're going to be tempted not to turn to the Word of God. Can I encourage us and myself here not to be tempted to use our suffering and the wilderness experience as a license and an excuse for us to sin. But rather, let's be prayerful through it. Let's, let's pray that we be prepared next time we find ourselves in the wilderness to use that time to search for beauty in the Lord Jesus. And I wonder if you're in the wilderness right now, probably the most helpful thing that you can take away is this. The King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, he knows that landscape perfectly. And he's walked through it. And he promises to walk you through it too. I wonder if you know that poem, Footsteps in the Stand. I'm just going to read to you a little bit of it as we close. Lord, you said, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand that when I needed you most of all, you would leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, even during your trials and testing. When you saw only one set of footsteps, it was then that I carried you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us always. Lord, when everything seems to be going wrong, please help us to trust you. Lord, when we're tempted to turn to other things and to turn away from you, when the chips are down, help us to trust you and cling to your promises and to be prayerful. 
Please help us to support those that we know who are going through difficult times. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen.